Well, hello and welcome to another edition of News of the World, the podcast that looks at the news, your life, no wait, our world, our lives, and if that happens to intersect with your life, even better. Uh, in order to do this, you need two individuals with microphones, and we happen to have such people. One, myself, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, sometimes known as Bicycle Mark, based in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, country of orange-colored people. And on the other side of this continent, no wait, somewhere nearby, actually, in Berlin, we have Tim Pritlove, in Berlin, I said that, in Germany, where people wear white and black and yellow and red. And headphones. Wait, which- which colors do they wear these days when they're all crazy about football? Uh, it's whitish, and whitish. of course the um, that's that's a shirt, and then then of course there's this you know national coloring that yeah. is and, uh, uh, slightly more diverse than it is in the Netherlands. It's not all one color, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but both teams are still in the World Cup, so it's it could somehow. You know. It's such a European affair. I'm, a, I'm a, I don't know. It's, is it? Wh- but there, you know what? There are big discussions going on somewhere about like, why or what happens with African teams or the South American teams. I know we still have three left, but still, um, you know, what, what is going on? At, how does football relate to economic level, uh, um, the development of countries and so forth? Because you, you kind of see in some cases, you know, the, the let's see, Germany, Netherlands, well, Belgium, still a relatively wealthy country. And and they're they're heading towards the final, even though they're, you know, they're they're in Europe. And I don't know. I think there was something to it. This this whole development of football, or maybe it's just that the fancier countries have found ways to get all the best players as part of their national team. Well, I think if there's one thing this World Cup shows is that the uh, overall quality has increased significantly. Uh, the teams are playing much, much, much better. There's the tiny country of Costa Rica who has made it yeah. to the quarterfinals and they're playing excellent. And yeah. um, so this is news. Africa is still not doing that well, but uh, at least Central America seems to be highly motivated as is South America in general and Europe, of course, too. But yeah, it's totally open. Who is going to win? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and since we're talking World Cup, uh, we got to look at Brazil, and something we try to do on this program is look beyond the football. Uh, here's one that made head- headlines this morning, and this ties into the bigger story of what is really going on in Brazil outside of the stadiums. Uh, and the latest news was the overpass that collapsed in Belo Horizonte, uh, killing two people, injuring 19, and now... You know, overpasses, unfortunately, in this world can collapse. But this was an overpass that was considered basically done. They were taking down the scaffolding. It was it was scheduled to officially be opened, I think, at the end of this month. Mm. And here we have it collapsing on top of a bus, uh, or at least a piece of a bus. Uh, thankfully, only two people injured. I say that just because, you know, in a major city, uh, you could have a lot more deaths if an overpass collapses. But this is the second such accident, uh, at least in the last month. You had this piece of a monorail that collapsed in Sao Paulo, uh, killing a worker there last month. And, oh, I didn't you know, know we, we watch the games and, and we're, we're into the games. I think a lot of the world is. The stadiums look great. People seem happy. Yeah, some guy ran across the field uh, uh, during a game. It's like, wow, that was surprising. 
but uh, what people are missing, of course, is always what's going on outside the stadiums. And this has not been a massive success in terms of infrastructure projects. Uh, I don't think you can consider it a success anytime uh, things are collapsing. Thankfully, it's only been, you know, these two things. Hopefully, it doesn't get any worse. Yeah, I mean, it's not only a bridge. I mean, it's one of those bridges that is part of this program that was like meant to be uh, a, a plus to, to to the people because that was built from money the world cup was supposedly bringing in yeah and now like a symbol you know yeah it just yeah. collapses during the world cup causes now much more problems than you know it was up to solve and uh i don't know the it's still more or less breaking news at this point so yeah I don't know how it's going to affect the public opinion in Brazil, but it doesn't really look good. No. Uh, well, uh, yeah, th you know, the hard part is that football is this monster <laughs> and that makes you forget everything, or at least in the international public perception. In Brazil, that is an interesting question. Like, they've already canceled a few uh, public events that were going to be around the, the, the World Cup and watching it on the street in that city. They're going to cancel it out of respect for the, for the dead and the injured. Uh, so you do see some, some behavior that, that is affected. But, you know, out here, of course, we, yeah, we notice it in the newspaper, but I think, you know, everybody goes right to, I want to see the game. Um, and it's, it's amazing how these, These events are, are tragedies, and at the same time, they're small scale to this. And, and the World Cup sure. still has this, you know, people want to see it. They're, they're so into it. Yeah, of course so, they want to see it, but uh, it's going to be all over in two weeks, and this bridge is yeah. still going to be there, you know, yes, collapsed. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I, 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 I'm pretty sure that it's going to survive the right. uh, public opinion. Yeah, that is a good point. All this For excitement sure. will have passed and then you'll still have, yeah, the problems. So um, there are going to be protests in Brazil uh, for sure and... So good, there is a proper industry there yeah. to uh, take care of this. Yeah, the news sources in these times, we've used them before uh, here on the program, but I noticed this week an article about the weapons industry, uh, the domestic weapons industry in Brazil, and the great boom that they've seen surrounding both the hosting of the World Cup and the Olympic Games that has, as you know, as listeners of this program, has led to many kinds of protests, um, many kinds of state actions to evict people who live in, in sections of cities that are unofficial or informal and they want to use to build stadiums or housing. And as we know, police have been confronting uh, protesters. And of course, what do they use? They use all kinds of... Uh, what is it, uh, tear gas, and uh, now we have sound bombs, although that's more common, I think, in Israel. But, you know, there's all kinds of weapons. Many of them are, are considered non-lethal or crowd-control weapons. They can be quite painful. Let's not exaggerate the non-lethal thing here. No, they could and, be lethal, too. I mean, uh, yeah. tasers have killed people. Exactly, yeah. Because that's it, what depends, I mean. it really depends on who you hit, you know, and what, what uh, kind of health shape they are. Yeah, and, and I think people who've been involved in protests or that, that can get physical know this, that, that even these non-lethal weapons, as you say, Tim, uh, can, can hurt or, or, or end lives. Uh, so it was an interesting article that talks about one specific company, but they're not alone, uh, Condor Technologies, and how uh, basically it outlines their huge boom in sales over the last, well, 
three to four years since the announcement that uh, the country will not only get the World Cup, but the Olympic Games, which is still the big thing for 2016. Mm -hmm. And uh, the amount of money they've been able to make, the growth and how they're going around the world as well, offering their services. But the, the, the real source that has, that has put this company on the map, or companies like them, has been getting these two huge events and needing and using police to hold back protesters and people who are trying to slow down or, or get in the way of you know, these construction projects. So it's interesting in the backdrop of you know, uh, projects that are having problems, collapses, uh, money isn't going where it should, and so forth. We have weapons industries that are growing immensely domestically, in uh, in this case in Brazil, but you'll surely hear this for, for other countries, depending on where uh, these events take place. That is an interesting article. I do recommend reading it. You can look at things like the growth percentages, um, the sales numbers, and, and where they're going in the world. Uh, one of these odd side effects of getting uh, a big event like the World Cup. True. Yeah. And so that's, for this week anyway, the, the Brazil news. I think every week until this is over, we'll be hearing uh, what's going on outside the stadiums in Brazil, um, as it's, it's often harder to find in the news. This one, coming to us from Norway. Uh, I noticed this a few days ago. The Norwegian government has announced it is ending... Online voting. It was an experiment, but the experiment is now going to be closed. I didn't realize this was going on. Now, this is not... We've talked about computer voting. This is online voting, slightly different. Not going to the machine in the polling station. Not machine, but, you know, pressing the touchscreen. But this is actually voting from your home, as far as I understand. Yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can quote you on that. E-voting e e is, uh, you know, we've been talking uh, about this many times on many occasions, and it's probably worth looking it up once more. Not only because uh, Norway has found out that this is causing problems. I think one of the reasons people were giving out why they are not trusting the process was that they are somehow nervous that, that you know, that whatever they chose could become public. Yeah. You know, so insecurities about the process. And that's very interesting because I'd say in the last years, last decade, the general consensus of computer networks was somehow like, yeah, it works, you know, and I click on a button, it does things and, 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 and nobody cares, you know, and maybe something doesn't work and then I can retry it and then it works. Nobody's really thinking about what's actually going on, but we've seen so many... Um, we've seen so many things fail and so many uh, casualties of, of online systems with so, so many passwords leaks with like, it's always in the millions. There's always like huge amounts of data flowing out of databases, which shouldn't mm. leave that place anyway. So that's something that people are realizing now, that there's something generally wrong. And I think after this year of Snowden-based press yeah. documents, you know, um, all those technologies, although I think many of the things or probably even most of the things or maybe even everything that was told in the last 12 months by the press based on these Snowden documents, these insights we have and what the NSA and other secret services, the GCHQ and so on, mm -hmm. are doing. 
is basically showing it's not only that the internet is under attack here and there. It's completely surveyed. And it's also that those uh, technologies that are sort of considered to be helpful in, that, in securing it, like encryption, you know, is fundamentally broken on many levels. So there's so many systems in place that somehow intercept uh, encryption, uh, crack it, you know, or at least force systems to silently uh, not encrypt at all while they are considered to encrypt and so on. So all of these things combined, when you look at something like an online voting, you <laughs> It just seems to be totally insane to just even come up with this idea. Because once everybody is going to do online voting, we know how much this can be um, at least changed, you know, if not completely controlled by whatever forces. Yeah, I think what's what's also going on, the reason that so many people, uh, unfortunately, uh, go towards online voting is a lot of countries, either the public or especially governments, are trying to figure out why or what to do about low turnout rates, right? So they, they think, well, if you could do it from your home, then more people would participate. Mm. And the idea of more people participating is, I think, a noble and respectful. Uh, one, but then it, this often leads to, aha, if you could just do it from your home, uh, and that's a lot of where the, the logic is. When I look up online voting, or, or yeah, online voting, I see a lot of articles, especially from the US, with people going, uh, you know, if we could do it from home, we could, we could have more people participating, and yeah. yeah, that's just looking at laziness <laughs> and levels and, and thinking that yes. this, this is all about it. But I think that if people don't care about voting, they don't care about voting even if they're on their own sofa. You know, it doesn't yeah. really change that much. It's not that you are exchanging your mind when you leave your uh, your flat. And, and in that sense, this, this argument has never worked uh, at all. No. On the other side, I also think that it's even devaluing the process even further because once, you know, this... This moment of voting with actually going there, being there, seeing everybody else vote, seeing that there's a, a more or less careful process around this thing. You know, it's, I won't compare it to church, going to church, but you know, <laughs> you could do your prayer from home, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, why do we have churches <laughs> for mm. having a collective prayer listening to some you know pope talking to you mm -hmm. uh, you could do it all online you know <laughs> uh, just click the pray button and you're done you know you can save so much time we have we have more people praying <laughs> if we just yeah. do it online yeah it doesn't work no commu and community matters i mean that's that that's what all these things prove. Uh, in the Norwegian case, by the way, since, since it started with uh, Norway's move to get rid of it, uh, 2013, they had a ballot and 70,000 people uh, did online voting. That's 38% uh, of all eligible voters. So impressively, for me anyway, an impressively high number. Turns out, according to the Norwegian Institute of Social Research, 0.75% uh, of these people managed to vote twice. Uh, they voted online, and then they went to a polling station, and they voted there too. So this is part of what has scared uh, <laughs> Norway into getting rid of the system. Uh, mm. I think I managed to vote twice once in the U.S., but I can't prove it. Uh, I, had, I was away at university, so I had a university address, and I had the home address, and I think I got two voting slips, but 
Anyway, uh, normally if people start voting twice, this is a bad thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I found an article that also points out on the heels of this announcement that the UK is still pursuing an online voting system. They want it. Uh, someone in the government, uh, I think it's technology-related uh, office, uh, they want uh, an online voting system, and they're, they're going towards it. Oh, shocking news. You know, the, <laughs> the, the, the country who is also into <laughs> collecting all the data on the internet is also Cameras. want to do online voting. Hmm, let me think about this a bit. Hmm, yeah, yeah. Could possibly go wrong. Nothing. nothing. <laughs> so you could look up that and surely we'll hear more about the, especially the UK system right here on the program. <laughs> uh, let's go to a far, far away place, Papua New Guinea. Uh, I'm always fascinated by Papua New Guinea, especially when it comes to resource news. Not to say there isn't more to talk about in such an interesting country. But today it's a story about palm oil. I noticed this in the uh, Malaysian newspapers, uh, thankfully many of them in English, so I can read some headlines. And it was a Papua New Guinean court, a PNG court we often say, uh, that revoked a 99-year-old land title um, to this Kuala Lumpur Kepong, a palm oil company, KLK, uh, and basically said, uh, you have to get out uh, 38,350 hectares of land in what's called Collingwood Bay, the Oro province. And basically, indigenous communities had gone to court to say that this land was uh, taken from them, uh, that not only that, um, these companies are doing the things that we've worried about, uh, eroding uh, the land, uh, using child labor, deforesting, the list grows on and on. And the court has ruled in favor of the indigenous people. So all of a sudden, uh, KLK has to leave. They basically said, leave. Now, the indigenous people have had help, uh, including from the Rainforest Action Network. And that's actually the article I'm going to link to. I understand that it's an environmental organization, not just a, a, a specific newspaper or anything like that. But they've documented it in a way that it's a little more understandable than a lot of newspapers because it's very complicated. Uh, but it's very interesting. And then you start reading about this KLK company, fifth largest palm oil plantation company in the world, uh, not only in... Um, and PNG, but also in Indonesia. Uh, they've got a few other countries where they're active. And palm oil, Tim, has been one of these resources that some people say is a cool uh, alternative uh, for, well, usable in different uh, purposes. But many people say that palm oil uh, farming or palm oil industry hurts the environment uh, to a to such a level that it's not worth it. So it's one of these big uh, debates that I've seen, even in what's called the sustainable investment world. Some people say, oh, invest in palm oil plantations. And others say, don't, because actually it's terrible for the environment, even if the palm oil is quite useful and it has some benefits. Uh, so here we have a big victory for indigenous people, something you don't hear very often uh, from that part of the world. Yeah, that's very interesting that they have been so successful, especially in revoking existing contracts, if I understand this right. Yeah, yeah. And, and for years, it was thought that this was the way to go, right? Give the contracts to, in this case, a Malaysian company that's quite big and, and has influence. And they will create, you know, do the things that a lot of people hope, create jobs, um, improve quality of life. 
And uh, a lot of the jobs now are, are seen, they're child labor jobs. Um, and the effect on the environment, you know, negative. So, you know, they haven't done a lot of what they, you know, quote, promised uh, when they came to do this palm oil farming. So, yeah, it's, it's a shift. I think a lot of even courts, uh, despite whatever influence from the outside, are coming to realize that uh, just giving up the land or, or you know, for, for money, of course, uh, to these big corporations doesn't benefit your country necessarily, mm. especially not your people, uh, in this case, indigenous people. Yeah, that's not only a problem in Papua New Guinea. It's also like a general problem in Indonesia, in, uh, in the yeah, in that in particular in that South um, East Asian region. Is that the correct yeah. term to Southeast Asia? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I like to keep an eye on yeah these developments in this region. Not only from the palm oil industry, you have a lot of. Um, Gold and uh, I think cobalt. Well, anyway, it's it's a region of the world where a lot of mining companies are trying to get in on what is very much a resource rush. Uh, so we shall see. But there's one victory. Uh, let's go to oh Egypt. Uh, I thought it was an interesting item. Uh, convicted human rights advocate and lawyer Mainur Al Masri has been awarded uh, a major human rights prize. Officially, it's the Ludovic Trarieux Human Rights Prize for 2014. And this story made the rounds in the international press. Um, this lawyer, uh, she's young, and she's uh, been in prison. Well, right now, she's serving a two-year sentence for basically violating what's called the protest law. This is the law in Egypt that basically, if you protest, you can be put in jail, uh, that the current government has been using to try and stop the amount of protests. But they're not alone because uh, even under Mubarak, there were such laws. And oddly enough, this lawyer was also uh, imprisoned during the Mubarak time. I think she was also imprisoned during uh, uh, Morsi time. So she's seen prison under three different uh, Egyptian presidents, always with the same struggle to have the right to protest. Uh, and, and speak up against the government. Um, this is part of the reason she gets this award. The award was made famous years ago. I think the first one to get it was uh, Nelson Mandela. And uh, this has led me to read all kinds of interesting things about her work and, uh, and her current sentence where she refuses, for example, she refuses to take a pardon uh, because, you know, as an international star, she could be pardoned by the president. No, she refuses this. She says she'll only leave jail when the law is changed, uh, that it's not a crime to, to protest the way oh, she has been. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Very, very brave of her, too. Yeah, not to take the individual, uh, you know, favor. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, and this makes me curious, of course, about more things going on in Egypt these days, and, and I think in the coming weeks uh, we will be covering it, and maybe we can even get a voice uh, from down in Alexandria or Cairo about these realities. But but she is in jail right now. Yes, yeah. She mm -hmm. gets the award while being in jail and she won't not, will not come out until, well, if this law is changed. I, I don't know. Now that um, Sisi is officially president and he's no longer a military ruler, uh, he's a civilian now or a civilian president, if that law will change. But the, the catch is, the reason it wouldn't, is first of all the president just wanting to keep things you know under his control but also there's a lot of support i think uh, among the more conservative voters in egypt 
to see less protesting. It doesn't mean they want a law that says you go to jail, but people aren't going to uh, necessarily, well, he's not going to lose support for being tough on protesters. And I know that sounds strange, uh, but I've read a lot about outside of the cities, how people are, they like Sissy. One of the reasons is because he's you know, getting things back in order, getting things working again. So no more with the constant protests. And and as undemocratic as it is, as as bad for human rights as it is potentially, um, this is the sort of support that he has. So these protest laws, bad as they are, I don't think he's heavily criticized in, at least among his his large section of supporters. It, in the country. I mean, is it so surprising? Most people would, are probably more concerned about getting their uh, daily income and, and, and food and everything. Uh, and this is a country that was whose uh, economy was heavily based on, on tourism. And the last For years example, of, yeah. of, of continuous protesting has, I, I don't know uh, the exact numbers, but... Uh, <laughs> It's totally obvious, you know, that the tourism industry was the big loser of the last years. And as so yeah. many people depend on this, it's, yeah. I can understand that they're going to the position like, yeah, improvements. Yeah, yeah. maybe, you know, <laughs> but what I really care about is getting tourists here so I can make a living of it because this yeah. is my biggest problem. And yeah. Uh, yeah. it may sound weird, but yeah, it does, but. Understood. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally understood that this is by far uh, the the biggest concern of people, and I think they're just fed up with all those parties coming up. You know, everybody is protesting for a few months. Then there is a turnover in, in who is currently yeah. the the governor. Then they're doing the same shit all over again as everybody else. Then the next round of protesters is coming. Then you have the next turn of government, and then new protesters coming up. It's like they just say. Well, is anything ever happening? You know, is, yeah. we're just going around in circles, protesting and reinstating the next president to, you know, go back to A from there. Mm. That's a yeah. general problem. Yeah, and, and I'm sure anyone who values human rights, you know, free speech, who's listening to us speak right now probably says, but well, hey, but, but. Right, protest. The right to protest is important. Of course, I think you and I, Tim, both acknowledge that. <laughs> But to try to understand why it is that this such policies exist and have you know the leader like Sissy will have support. Uh, that's I think what we're trying to do here. And and I definitely noticed this in Egypt when I was there, which was hard to do because I was in cities. But I noticed that there is a generation, you know, older people, but also people outside of cities or, or outside of the the more uh, highly educated, I would even dare say, uh, world that are saying, you know what, whatever, all I want is somebody who's going to stop all the protesting. And, and of course, they think that someone strong can come in and then get things in order economically, socially. So again, you know, this is where Sissy draws his support. And we saw that in the recent election, even if you say it's not a very fair election, which is a good point. Um, he has support. <laughs> yeah, he has support. And, and, and I can also understand this because I think the, in general, the, the value, the political value of this term stability, you know, mm -hmm. is, 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 uh, easily under, uh, estimated. It's, uh, yeah. Go yeah. to Syria, <laughs> go to the Iraq and ask people if they'd like to exchange the current situation 
to the mm. somehow tragic situation before where they had like stability under some kind of dictator there's more yeah. or less still there or in case of Iraq isn't but has been replaced by others who are not that much better anyway just you know mm -hmm. give the money to, to different people yeah. um, so that's it They are looking for stability. And that doesn't mean they are not behind political change. That doesn't mean that they are not somehow agreeing to uh, whatever the protesters have been, at least initially, um, demanded. But they just don't want it to come at that price. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that yeah, that is one of the the big uh, conflicts right now in Egypt uh, when it comes to stability versus everything else, every other right, <laughs> right. right to be safe or to live. Uh, anyway, so there there you have it, the award for uh, the human rights lawyer. Um, now let's go to the U.S. for a moment. I saw this on uh, originally on Fast Company or Fast Co-Design, and I, like a lot of you, I'm easily attracted by interesting uh, visual uh, graphs and charts. And I saw this uh, using data from NASA. Uh, basically, it was an there's an ozone monitoring instrument (OMI), the Aura satellite, I believe it's called. It's it's been up there in space for 10 years. And it distinguishes between aerosol types, so like smoke, dust, sulfates, and it gives you an idea of quality of air and air pollution. So really simple uh, gap here, 10 years, right? So I, I remember 10 years ago pretty easily. And what they say, they announced this week, is that air quality in the United States now, I, I wish it was global at this point, but, you know, their satellites are pointing and, and media is pointing at uh, American stories. Um, the air in the United States, at least in many major cities uh, and regions, has gotten <laughs> better in the last 10 years, or as you pointed out, it was written somewhere, what was it? Less disgusting uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> than it was 10 years ago. Um, and it's interesting to watch the, the graphs, of course, to see the, the pollution reducing or the, those red spots getting smaller. Um, You know, we could talk about the reasons why. Also, I think here in Europe, if we had the, the infographics to, uh, to explain it, you know, if we think about our cities and the efforts in some of those cities to do things like have less traffic, allow less cars into the center, um, initiatives for, yeah, I would even say biking. I've seen cities like Washington, D.C., even New York, where public bikes are available and used, you know, as much as people make fun of them in New York, people do use them also. Um, and so, you know, at the same time, you have the movement of, of major industrial sites. They're outside of cities, uh, if they weren't already, definitely in the last 10 years. So I, I kind of understand the, the fact that air quality in some cities is getting better. But then, of course, you have cities like Los Angeles, where, although I haven't been there in a really long time, uh, the air quality hasn't improved that much. And if you think about it, mm, there haven't been that many measures. Uh, if we just think, of, think about traffic and cars on the road, Los Angeles is still known for its traffic and driving culture. And I don't know that there's any solution for that in the near future. Um, so not all cities are, are thriving, but uh, New York City saw a decrease. Atlanta apparently because also they're putting these um, air filtering devices on power plants, so they're paying more attention to the technology in those cases. Denver, 
has cleaned up by 22%. So 22%, 42%. These are interesting statistics in terms of reducing air pollution. <clears throat> yeah, it's coming late, but it's coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it reminds me of the process that was somehow started in Germany in uh, the late 80s. When there was oh, that? A, yeah, the, I mean, that was... Uh, the, the the defining term in Germany uh, back then was Waldsterben. I think it's uh, one of those words that actually made it into the English usage uh, too. You know, one of those German words that that mm -hmm. nobody's really uh, immediately considering worth translating once more, like kindergarten. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, basically like the dying of the woods was uh, you know w the the like dying woods were the. Um, Not, not not the only one, but this was something that everybody could relate to. That's like something like, oh God, our, our woods are dying. We have to do something about it. And that was when uh, um, the technology was brought up to reduce emissions from cars and so on. And also from uh, fabrics and, 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 and industry in general. Uh, so it has been improving over decades now. And um, I don't no comparable numbers to what we are seeing here but this is you know also showing that, that it's actually possible to do this you know it's just a, a matter of forcing the industry to uh, adhere to certain standards when it comes mm -hmm. to air pollution and once this is done it's going to show results yeah although although if i could try and and be a, a critic of of such statistics i wonder what <laughs> you would see if you took You know, take a, a yes. I would say Europe has also reduced its air pollution. That's just guessing, right? No, no data in front of me. But and you take this U.S. data, and then you look at, for example, China, and you watch ten years, twenty years, air pollution changes. And I wonder if wild air pollution reduces in a lot of our Western cities, air pollution increases in China. What I'm trying to say here, if it doesn't already seem obvious, is, or does this pollution just move in terms of where it's coming from? <laughs> But we still consume and, and make use of the same level of pollution. Um, I wonder about that, you know, uh, beyond the measures that I talked about to reduce uh, pollution. Um, that's something. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, these, um, just looking at the um, technical data of this Aura satellite, and it's, it should be, uh, it's not only uh, aimed at, at the U.S., It could no. do global, right? Yeah. It, it could be. It could do global. Like it's an Earth observation um, satellite. That means it's not in a geosynchronous position, like a TV satellite at the mm -hmm. equator, uh, but it's um, going over the poles and it's a sun synchronous orbit. So the speed and the orbit itself is synchronized to the sun. That it's like always getting. Um, sunlight mm -hmm. for power and also looks at the at the, at the sunny part of the uh, of earth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so it should be capable of delivering uh comparable data for china uh too might yeah. be interesting to revisit this once more Yeah, so have a look. Uh, it's it's up, uh, of course, on a link on our website, and you'll see the red spots in a lot of formerly industrial or, or major industrial cities of the United States and, and still very populated areas. And you'll see the, the red pollution spots start to shrink, especially in this what we call the northeast of the United States. Um, 
interesting. Maybe we'll see some other graphics come out using the data available on things like the EU or, or China or India. I would love to see it. And I would love to see the continent of Africa in, uh, in terms of air pollution. So there's some visualizations. Let's go back to the EU for our last story today. Uh, I'm always interested in not banks so much as people and banks. There was a run on Bulgarian banks. I don't know if you know this expression, a run on the bank, right? That's exactly what it sounds like. Everybody runs to the bank and tries to take out what's theirs. And of course, the bank panics because they don't have that much money to give you uh, or they don't want you to take all your money. Uh, (laughs) There was a run on the bank in Bulgaria, and I didn't know this was going on, uh, and it led to EU Commission intervention to basically uh, extend some, some credit, some loan. Um, and, and how did this happen? They were calling it a crime, that there were some criminals. That's what a lot of the articles talked about. And I finally found what the crime was, at least in terms of how the media explains it. There was speculation, uh, specifically rumors, that the uh, the banks of Bulgaria were failing uh, and going to close down and you wouldn't be able to get your money. So they called them untrue and ill-intentioned rumors, according to the Bulgarian government, um, which led to people r- going to the bank and demanding their money. Uh, so this is considered a, a sort of plot, uh, conspiracy. Everybody yeah, started spreading uh, rumors. <laughs> And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, because the moment you say like, oh, they're all failing, everybody's running to the bank, and then they're actually failing because that's exactly what banks are not built for. Yeah. Banks are not <laughs> built to give you your money. No. Got that? They're not. <laughs> they're built so that you can give them your money Yeah, and keep it and do things with it. And, and it's... And it's, you're allowed little tiny bits every now and then. Yeah, they're, they're just totally incapable of giving you the money that you've given them because it's always invested in, you know, other areas and, and, and uh, held for, for, for many, many years. And they only expect you to redraw a certain percentage of money. And I don't know how what, what that level is. It's probably not more than five percent there must be some guarantees now for banks right. to do be able to deliver this uh, and I, as far as i recall this has also changed during the banking uh, crisis in the last decade in europe but you know it's still not capable of resisting to those mobs asking for cash yeah do you, you just sort of touched on it do we have so in the united states you have the fdic basically Across the United States, they guarantee that if you have money in these banks approved by the, the government, which are most, um, and you have this minimum number, it's it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty good number. Like uh, I don't know what it is, a hundred thousand, maybe two hundred thousand. If you had two hundred thousand in the bank and the bank collapsed, they will cover you this. It, right? Yeah, there's something like this too. I don't know what at what levels uh, it currently is, and there's also a difference between privately held money and uh, money held by uh, companies. But, you know, that's the problem. Uh, small companies can be killed immediately if this is really going to uh, be a big topic. And this happened. You know, this happened in Cyprus. This happened in uh, in Greece. We've seen this in the recent years and uh, to a smaller extent probably also in uh, uh, Spain and Portugal. I don't know. Um, yeah. There mm-hmm. are guarantees, but you know, there's only so much you can cover with these kinds of guarantees. 
I, I looked here in the Book of Knowledge, also known as Wikipedia, uh, the European Union Directive 9419 EC of the European Parliament and the Council, 1994 this was, uh, they made a deposit guarantee scheme. Uh, all member states should have, aha, um, or requ- requires to have a deposit guarantee scheme for at least 90% of the deposited amount or at least 20,000 euros per person. Uh, and they increased this in 2008 to 50,000 per person. Uh, and that's, I think there's still a push to, to increase it. But, but I think this is still, if you look per country, it depends. Oh, yeah, there's a whole listing in Wikipedia per country. Most EU countries, uh, 100,000 is the savings limit, okay. and you're covered 100%. Interesting. But then there's all these different, so each country covers it differently. They have a list of which organization manages this. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Huh. Where's Bulgaria? Let's put this link, uh, let's just put, put link, this link into our list of links. Yeah. Into the Very show notes. Okay. And speaking of our excellent lists, that brings us to our news source of the week. And I decided to go podcast. Uh, every now and then we list a podcast from the around the world uh, that addresses things like news. And actually, uh, this week's is from Science Mag or Science Magazine. Now, of course, it's a magazine, but Science Magazine has a podcast uh, weekly that covers uh, world news and then after that 15 or so minutes of world news gets into specific science topics. I'm a listener. I've been a listener for a few months now, and I wanted to recommend it, um, not necessarily for any of this week's uh, topics, but it would, of course, Brazil, for example, would come up. Uh, Banking does come up. So I recommend the Science Podcast. Um, Pretty straightforward and uh, good quality information. Not necessarily the same as what you would find on a, on a BBC or, or traditional news source, but yet touching a bit on those kind of stories and, and specific science stories. And of course, they have their own reporters, which is always interesting. They've done a lot of their own original research. Yeah, podcasts are a very valuable medium for science topics in general, and uh, it's yeah. always good to see more of this stuff coming up. So, are we done with this part? Yes, yeah, that'll be it for for our news sources. We'll, of course, add that to our grand list on the website. And uh, that also does indeed do it for this week's edition of News of the World. Um, We may be back with you next week. I'm heading to Moscow, land of... of, Freedom. What is it, the land of... Oh, yeah, land of freedom. And uh, (laughs) the next World Cup. (laughs) Is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, probably. Before it moves (laughs) to Qatar, it only gets worse from here. Oh, it's a joint effort, Qatar and Russia. Uh, I think what's coming after Qatar is like, like probably Iraq or Syria. Hmm. Hmm. Iraq would be an interesting World Cup. But yeah, anyway, it would be. I'm still a fan of the idea of a World Cup where you use whatever you've got. You're not allowed to build any new stadiums. So if you've got just <laughs> a park with some benches, that's, that's what we're going to use. Mm. Like that would be my World Cup. It would not be well attended. But. <laughs> You know, we've got TV. <laughs> uh, True. I need a better name for it. The, the, the broken cup. All right. So that's it for this week. Thanks so much for uh, listening. And we will catch you again soon. 
soon yeah as soon as we can we're also thinking about oh, changing yeah. uh the one or the other uh, concept we're not g willing to give too many details but we are trying to uh, <laughs> open up the program to include other people who can contribute their valuable insight into topics where we probably don't have any mm. which is quite a few <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, and uh, I, I don't know how many shows we're going to do until there's obviously going to be some kind of summer break in uh, August. And uh, mm -hmm. but up till then, yeah, thanks yeah, for we'll listening. Be thanks yeah. for supporting the show and listening to it and recommending it to everybody you meet on the street, <laughs> uh, watching the World Cup. Like, yeah, it's it's like the the best thing you can talk to your neighbor after some goals. Uh, have been scores like yeah you're feeling fine you can even feel much better by listening to news of the world which is <laughs> well even said. covering the world cup yeah it's somehow true. yeah <laughs> that's where that's yeah oh, that's what we've great. become that's what we've become yes. yeah <laughs> covering politics and football and football yeah. <laughs> not the worst mix uh it just happened naturally you know we weren't expecting it It's not on our list, I mean. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye.